Chronicle. Born with imperial features. I'm a page turner, sage burner, Santeria, Changong, December baby, Mauritius, Saint Ho. Story takes place in ancient Egypt. That cut off the nose, despite the face. They're still your Jesus. I can't tell how they white. That blue eyed virgin is make believe stuff. She throw me out of house. Say ye deliver us from this heathen. I say that the Miss Tina should sneeze at sun. Her photic reflex, they both had straightened combs. Little did they know, I hold the heat next. Neither tool can be used to fix our defects. P.S. We born perfect. Fuck all the B.S. Everybody wanna be us for real. We just gotta see us. Inshallah. In a space and time where we are experiencing, reading, and seeing white fragility being displayed or enacted. Now, I know you briefly went into this a bit over the conversation thus far. Please entertain this two-part question as we build off of your points. How did you deal with those moments of microaggressions in academic spaces? And then the second question that I have is, how would you respond to white fragility in a public space in this age of social media? Yes, Greg, thank you for the question. To talk about the first question, dealing with moments of microaggressions in the academic sector, it's interesting, right, because there's always a power dynamic between black and white. And so in response to those microaggressions, it's similar, or to me, it's synonymous with your response to a white police officer when he pulls you over and you know he's racially profiling you, but you can't necessarily say anything because that white officer has autonomy over your black soul, which is very concerning for many reasons, but that, I'll say it again, matriculates (laughs) into different facets of our lives. And so the academic sector is just one of those facets, but the power dynamic is still there and exists. And it's just an unfortunate thing. I I can point to an example. I was in my engineering class, biofluid mechanics counts towards my mechanical concentration. I was the only black person in the class, obviously. Oh, well, no, incorrect. There was me and there were two other black women in the class. I was the only black male in the class. Now, there was a senior in the class before me. His name is Dorian Brown, incredible guy, black, young man, pretty similar in height. And so this particular professor, older white guy, and this is in the middle of the semester. We're on like week eight or nine. And something comes up where he has to refer to me. And he says, hey, Dorian, did you get that information? I just look at him to see if he would correct himself, to see if he would realize the mistake that he made. But we locked eyes and he said, hey, hey, yeah, yeah. Did you did you get that information, Dorian? He said it again. Right. Obviously, my name is not Dorian. But the simple fact of and he really thought that I was Dorian Brown. Legitimately. And we look nothing alike. But it, it's instances like that where it's like, wow, you thought I was a different person entirely this entire time. We're on week eight. We got class every single day. How do you not know my name? I've done multiple presentations in front of you. I've done uh, case studies with you. In lab, I've asked you questions. 
right? I've engaged with the content. It's not like I'm not attending class. I'm attending class. And yet you still thought that I was Dorian Brown, which was, is just very interesting. But there's other dynamics, and that plays into how at least white professors and this theme of fragility, uh, to address your question, I think that in a way, these professors, given their autonomy over students, are able to escape uh, those certain microaggressions and sort of laugh it off. But it hurts me. Right? But And that's the thing. That's the dynamic. It doesn't hurt them. It's like, oh, just a simple mistake. Oh, I'm sorry, Maurice. So he, he had walked away, looked at his roster for my name and said, oh, oh, right, Maurice. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. But sorry isn't good enough sometimes because you genuinely thought that I was an entirely different individual. And to get into the second question, how to respond in the age of social media, it's hard. It's hard to respond in that dynamic. It's almost like you're on a reality TV show and there's a there's like an audience in the background that's laughing <laughs> and laughing at you <laughs> because it, it's almost like a sitcom. It's like, wow, this is real. Because you're you're only black face against a white background. How do you respond to a completely white uh, power dynamic? You you can't. It doesn't matter what you say. Whatever you say, I could I could have cursed him out. Could have called him these names. I could have done that, right? I could have been like, oh, it's okay, you know. I could have did that as well. But for me personally, the same result would have occurred, which I would have taken that to heart, which I still do and been emotional about it. And the professor would have just thought that nothing happened, gone about his day, because it's that power dynamic that I was describing before. So how did I respond to that? I didn't. The black woman in class that was sitting next to me, her name was Ninas. She responded on my behalf. She said, oh, his name isn't, oh, he's not Dorian. I don't I don't know what, what she thought this was, but <laughs> yeah, his name's Maurice. He's like, oh, right, 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 right. You know, you know, Dorian's just, uh, you know, he's in, uh, interact with him on a daily basis. He's in research, you know, that the white fragility thing, right? But he's allowed to have that excuse because he's a tenured professor in engineering and he's leading the cancer research for the school of medicine. So he's allowed to have that escape go. He's such, he's so busy. He interacts with so many black students at Wake Forest, right? That he just mixed up, uh, individual names but like i said before that leaves me in a space of feeling power powerless in my position and it, and it almost leads to this idea that oh, i'm just here for four years get this degree get in get out because as we discuss blackness on this white background, blackness will always be seen outside the exterior of whiteness, especially in a Western culture, right? When we think about even code switching, our earlier conversations, our earlier statements, you know, Africans eat with their hands. And so in terms of even etiquette, what it means to have etiquette is founded on a, a white basis, a white European basis. And so blackness will always be seen outside that exterior. So I don't know how you would respond in the face of that, given 
the modern age of social media and the confines of history and how the African-American soul has been subjected over so many years, you really can't, you're still in the same position. Just like my older mentor, we share the same experiences because it's the same foundation, um, unfortunately. And those are just some examples of microaggressions since the question is asking that, but let's not get confused I'm incredibly grateful of my opportunity at Wake Forest, and I have been able to achieve success in many different facets of my academic education and how I continue to achieve and obtain internships. I'm on my fifth internship now, right? So success is still definitely possible, and these microaggressions by no means set you back in any way professionally or academically. It's the more emotional side that we're addressing here in the conversation, at least for me, because at the end of the day, we got to keep it real, right? And these things still happen and you're not, you're not allowed to escape it simply because you attend this school, you attend that school. At the end of the day, what are you? You are a black man. You have a black soul, right? You are inescapable of your blackness at the end of the day. And so these things will be brought up Right. If it happened to Oprah in France and she's a billionaire, it will happen to you. (laughs) But yes, brother, thank you for the question. It's a good question. I know you want to respond. The one thing that I want to say is I like the fact that you mentioned, regardless of the institution, you're still a black person. And Kanye West, who now prefers to be called Yay. Uh, said in one of his songs, even if you make a bunch of money, you still, and, and you ride in the bins, you're still an N-word in the bins. No matter what level of success you reach or attain by way of this hard work that a lot of older folks say, you just got to do the hard work. You got you to gotta do the labor or, or the microaggressions that I used to hear in the 90s or even the early 2000s. You just need to pick your foot, yourself up by your bootstraps. These are things that even if I pick myself up by my bootstraps, nothing's going to stop me from potentially getting shot in the streets by getting pulled over by a cop who sees on his screen that I'm a black man because he typed in my license plate. There is no pulling myself up by the bootstraps. And when I say to people, which is I'm going to talk about this on a different show, brother, but I just it just crossed my mind when I say to people, we got all these millions and billions of dollars to give Ukrainians. What's up with my reparation? If I was to say, I think the Ukrainians need to pick them damn selves up by their bootstraps, how does that sound? When it comes from a black man saying that about white folks, how does that sound? And that has shocked some white people that I've said that to. Like, oh, with the audacity face. Like, you had the audacity to say, pick these. They're going through some things. My people have been going through some things for four or 500 years, too. We've been going through some things for four or 500 years. So what I do with those microaggressions that I run into by some white people or white folks, whatever, I hit them with scripture. So if I run into those situations where I run into a so-called caring or, you know, microaggression things, I either say to them a scripture or I say to myself a scripture. One of the scriptures that come to my mind right now is the first shall be last and the last shall, the last shall be first. So when I think about all these things that we go through as so-called African-Americans, Negroes, whatever we're called this week. And I say that a lot on my show, bro. 
that is whatever we're called this week, because even the Bible says in the end times, my chosen people will be called by by words. Matter of fact, let me look that up real quick, because I don't want people to just think I'm talking. Now, I went into this on a previous show where I, I mentioned the book of Deuteronomy talks about who's God's chosen chosen people. More specifically, the 28th chapter, which culminates with the scripture that says, my chosen people will be placed on ships and taken to distant lands and sold by people who do not speak a language of their own. So that's Deuteronomy 28 and 68. But if you start all the way at the beginning, now I will say, for my Bible scholars or people that are Christians, we know Deuteronomy is a long book, especially chapter 28, 68 verses. But if you start at the top and you read from verse 1 all the way down to 68, you will see who God's chosen people are. And it talks about in verse number is 28 and 37, talks about people being called by bywords. But I don't want to labor that on this point, bro. I just bring that forth because what I needed to understand was this is a part of me being in this shell of being a black person. We've been called so many things over four or 500 years. So if I run into these microaggressions or run into, if I ever run into these issues with someone as Caucasian, I have to understand that it's in their nature sometimes. In a lot of cases, it's in their nature. They know not what they do. Think about our forefathers that were getting bitten by dogs, sprayed with hoses, all the things that you hear about on documentaries and movies and things of that nature. And the first thing, especially from our, our big brother, Brother Silent Drummer, also known as Dr. Martin Luther King, turn the other cheek. Let's pray for them. But that's how God made us. I'm not promoting or propagating this, but just imagine you said three of your high school students or fellow classmates were unfortunately killed. I would go, I would venture to say that they were probably killed by someone that looks like them. not their twin, but another black person. What would the United States look like? If we stop killing ourselves, one, just just stop there first. If we just stop killing ourselves, how would that look? Then beyond that, what? how would the United States look if we, if every response to what they do to us is met with some negative physical response? That would change the dynamic, but that's just not naturally who we are. Bro. I'm not going to pray for them. That's an old talking point at this point. I want to pray for us first. Because like I said, at the beginning of this show, this season is about the culture. How can I be so quick to pray for people in Ukraine or other people that don't look like me, but I'm not praying for someone like you? I'm not praying for the people, the generations that are coming behind me, even the generation that's coming behind you. That's why, once again, it goes back full circle. That's why it's so imperative that we have these leaders in our community. When we talk about stopping the violence between each other because there's already so many sentiments set against us as as a people as an idea as an essence if you want to talk from a spiritual perspective there's there's so many facets of in the world that are against us from the beginning and i think having those leaders in those communities really even if it's just a, a mentor a guidance counselor right Especially I talk to everyone that is in positions of public education. 
right? You have a job. Your your job is so incredibly profound. It's even so much more profound than the individual that's putting on a suit and clocking in at Wall Street and making money because you are actively touching the youth, right? And and I, we'll, we'll talk about this later, paying teachers more, right? But that, that's a whole different can of worms. Um, <laughs> but to just continue on on the statement, that's why I think personally, for me, based off of my experience, it would have been so much more helpful and so much more or easier to transition to college had those individuals been there, right? And I will not lie, I did have an excellent guidance counselor by the name of uh, Ronnie Compton. Because initially I was looking at a, there's a free school in Kentucky called Berea College. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I was about to go down to Kentucky and I visited Kentucky and we saw what Kentucky was, <laughs> what it was about, right? Confederate flags, dirty pickup trucks, the whole everything. And I said, I do not want to be here. But I told myself, if I have to be here, I will. But Mr. Compton recognized that in me. He said, no. We're going to get you to Wake Forest, right? That's where you apply. We're going to get you there. And and he held true to his to his statement. And I really appreciate him for doing that. But we need more engaging counselors just like Mr. Compton, right, that are reinforcing the positive and optimistic notions for us as the youth. Because I don't know if you're familiar with growing up in these times, but everything is negative, brother. Everything is negative from the music that we consume. And I'm, I like the trap music. I make beats. I'm a producer. But even from the, the music that we consume, the food that we're eating, it, everything is just negative. And it's incredibly hard to escape that once again. Right? So we have to be those change makers. My mother always tells me you have to be the change that you want to see. In high school, I did a lot of public speaking. I would go to town halls and address education disparities and everything. And I would say, hey, we need more black individuals in STEM, right? In engineering fields and science, technology, research development, IT, Google, Microsoft. We need more black representation in these fields because this is how we can start to build wealth. This is how we can start to make some true change in terms of corporate America. I, I said all that, right? But who would I be as an individual going to Wake, studying sociology, for example? No, I, I got to be the engineering student now, right? Because I'm talking toward my community. So now I have to be that representation. I have to put my foot forward. If I'm going to claim these beliefs, then I have to put in the work, right, <laughs> necessary to accomplish that. And once I started putting in that work, an interesting thing happened, brother. I got real quiet because I realized <laughs> just how difficult it is to break into the STEM industry. And so now all of these stats, all of a sudden they start to make perfect sense because now I'm going through it. And so I'm like, wow, how in the world am I going to expect another young black man to come after me and do exactly what I did. You start to understand from a realistic, from a one-to-one -one experience, right? Life's the biggest teacher. You start to 
really truly understand why these statistics are set the way they are, right? When, when we talk about college readiness rates, which are all, all less than 5% still in the CMS Charlotte-Mecklenburg public schooling system, at least on my side of town, the west side of Charlotte, right? Where all the black people live, where all the Latino individuals live, right? And and it it certainly is incredibly difficult to transition to a top 30 university on a national scale. It's it's incredibly hard. And so when we see these statistics, we cannot blame the students themselves. I I cannot expect right, a young black man to follow my footsteps from Harding University High School. I would encourage them. I would support them. But if they fall short of that, listen, it's nothing personal because I know what it takes. And I, I'm understanding of that, right? And I think in opening these conversations, it requires an understanding. But you have to be there in order to understand. You got to go through it. And I think in terms of, as we talk about social media, there are a lot of talkers and not a lot of doers. There are a lot of talkers out here that are saying, we need more engineers, we need more doctors, we need more lawyers. Meanwhile, the same person that's making that tweet isn't those things that they are saying that, that we need more of, right? Because that's another thing that social media does. It allows you to hide <laughs> your true self. You can only present your the excellent qualities of your life that you want to be expressed, right? So there's that dynamic as well as we talk about social media, especially with the whole white fragility thing, being able to hide behind those closed doors, right? And they don't really show until a huge shift in the culture comes around or the community, for instance, like election, right? That's a huge thing. A lot of people's true colors start to show on social media right around election season. Um, but I digress. Thank you for that that uh, that question, brother. So, do you believe that your PWI experience has prepared you for the landscape of the U.S. and the greater world? If not, please explain. And the second question to that would be: Has pursuing higher education at a PWI suppressed any individual qualities or characteristics of yourself? I want to say that we kind of wrap this. And maybe one of my responses to you that going to a PWI where, and I've done the research on this several times before, but Carolina has over 30,000 students. From my research earlier today, Carolina has about 8.3%, I believe, African-American students, which equates to about 25, 20, I believe the exact number is 2,469 to be clear, African-American students. That includes the athletes as everybody. Now, let's piggyback that number off of the number that I mentioned to you before. African-Americans equates for 13.6% of the national average of citizens. So if I'm going to a predominantly white institution and dealing with the dynamics that comes with that, that sets me up for being in other spaces that are similar. Like you mentioned, you mentioned IT and STEM, and there's a lot of other fields um, that that African-Americans can go into, and there's such a small demographic of those fields. I'm transitioning to the IT space. You and I have talked, that, talked about that offline. 
one of the things that I realized is in the last year or so is all this conversation about how much money people should make that quantifies success. That number is normally, oh, I want to make over six figures. Now, I don't want to beat the success conversation too much, but if you want to make it, and like you said, a lot of people are saying this on social media. A lot of people are saying this on YouTube. Oh, I want to make this type of money. I want to make six figures until you have to actually do the work to get to making that six figures legally. And a lot of these, a lot of the ways of getting to that six figures requires STEM or some type of professional degree, whether that's you want to become an attorney. And I'm not talking about working for the public defender's office. You're going to have to work for a Fortune 500 company or maybe work for the federal government, something like that, to get you to six figures as far as practicing law. And that's that's after you worked for some time, too. You know, if you want to become a medical doctor, you want to become a dentist, you're going to have to own your practice, all types of stuff. There's a not even to mention all the debt that's going to come with that. So when you're talking about these spaces where people want to make a certain amount of money, we're talking about 1% of the population. Six figures making over $100,000 a year is only 1% of the population. So that means you have to be exceptional as an individual to make over six figures on a consistent basis. Shout out to Mr. Kevin Samuels, who I know who unfortunately is transcendent. But you have to make over six figures. If you want to make over six figures, you have to be an exceptional person. For me to get into Carolina on an academic scholarship, that shows that I was an exceptional person. For me to get through semester after semester after semester, that showed that I was an exceptional person. For me to matriculate, that showed, that quantified, that defined, that's proof that I'm an exceptional person. So what that showed me in answering your question, brother, that prepared me for the other levels of success that I had to make in life. I had to continue to pull from that exception. Everybody's not built for this. And this is not to tell, this is not my opportunity to tell somebody else, oh, you just need to work harder. Not everyone is exceptional and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be in these spaces that you have talked about, brother, STEM spaces, professional spaces, you're going to have to be exceptional. They're not giving out law degrees on the back of matchbooks. They're not doing it. Can't get a law degree from no this, but you can't get a law degree from Phoenix University. Right? You're going to have to go to a, a, a university, a reputable university. They're not giving out these medical degrees. They're not giving out these certain backgrounds. They're just not giving them out. You're going to have to work hard for them. And I know that kind of contradicts what you've mentioned, but it's the reality. It's like you stated once you started getting in those spaces, you realized that it took some work. So I want to get to answering the second part of your question. Has it suppressed me in any way? I would not say that it suppressed me. What has suppressed me is me sometimes. I've suppressed myself. Like I said at the beginning of this conversation, brother, my mother worked her butt off to get us into the suburbs for me to go to a better school. Because if not, I was going to go to an inner school inner city school and, and deal with that whole situation and feel like, oh, well, then that would have been my excuse. Oh, I couldn't get into college because I went to this high school and it's a predominantly black high school and da 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 
my mother worked her butt off, got me to a, a suburb community to go to a public school that was ranked really high, and I blew that opportunity. So I suppressed myself. So when the opportunity came back around to go to Carolina, yeah, I remember telling my mother, I'm scared out of my dad on mine to go to the school. How am I going to succeed at this school? I know I'm being told I'm smart, but this is a different animal. So I went to Carolina to get over the hump for me because how was I going to explain that to anybody? You got that? Imagine me having to have that conversation. You got that full ride to that school and you blew it? How was I going to explain that to anybody, let alone myself? So that's what I kept thinking about when I had those rough days, brother, is I got to do this for me. Forget my classmates. I got to do this for me because how am I going to explain this to anybody? I will say that the experience was the experience. I don't want to belittle those, some of those individuals that I came into contact with. They got some things that they got to get over as far as white supremacy is concerned. That's for them to deal with. That goes back to that indoctrination that we was talking about earlier, brother. They were being indoctrinated to feel like, okay, my lack of pigmentation makes me special. And then society solidifies that thought process over generations of time. But once again, like I said, maybe about 10, 15 minutes ago, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So these people that have reaped the benefit of slavery, and I can't, this is why I don't have the slave conversation with white folks because they gonna hit me with the same talking points. Well, my grandfather didn't have no slaves, so why are you blaming me? And da 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 da. But they're reaping the benefits. They're still reaping the benefits to this day of what their forefathers have done. Just like I'm still suffering the consequences of our forefathers. But go ahead, brother. I see you want to chime in. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly bring up that relationship of benefiting off of a, off of a cause that uh, demoralizes other individuals. You know, you yourself are a part of that cause because you are benefiting from that. And I don't want to get too political here, but this can transition in the conversation as we discuss uh, Donald Trump, right? And he considers himself non-racist and People that have voted for him says, oh, he's not a racist. He's just, uh, you know, he's just an old white man with, and he just says it how it is. He's not a racist, but he benefits from a racist ideology, which is birthed from a conservative pretext, right? There, in the history of elections, this is the first time the Ku Klux Klan has endorsed a candidate actively as they have done in the social media. Now, I'm not, I told you, I'm not going to get too much into the political sense, but we cannot be ignorant to the fact that Donald Trump does benefit from racism, even his entire lineage, if you check that out, right? In terms of his father being the slumlord, uh, real estate guy, you know, I'm, I'm going to dead the, the conversation, but I just wanted to to bring that comment uh, to surface as it certainly relates. And as we talk about our interactions with uh, white people with power and in the academic sense, and if there are any white listeners, right, please understand that you are still 
if you benefit in any capacity, you are still at the end of the day supporting this notion that has suppressed our people for such a long time. And that's not to say that you are a bad person. I know there are a lot of good white people, especially at this school. I have had a lot of good professors that have put me in contact with other individuals where I was able to obtain internships and things of that nature. But it's just something to to be mindful of, to consider. All right, brother. So I just have one more question as we wrap up our beautiful discussion. I thought it was a really good discussion. But uh, this question comes from a more... I really want to know what you think, uh, honestly, about this last question I'm going to ask. And some are from a reflective point and thinking about everything you've been through up to this point exactly. So that question is, imagine yourself 10, 15 years ago listening to this podcast discussion that we have had. What is your message to yourself? Any encouraging words or potential warnings? that you would give yourself, what do you, how do you respond to yourself 10 to 15 years ago if this individual was listening right now? Great question. The, the way I would respond to that is by my actions, bro. It's my hope that when I interact with you and some of our other brothers that happen to be in college, that I'm showing what I would have done for myself 10 to 15 years ago. I always try to do for others, younger men, what I wish was done for me. So what what I would tell myself, don't take seven years in between high school and college. Go ahead and get out there and don't allow the things that were told to you in high school about your circumstances intellectually get in the way of what your future holds for you. You have the intellect necessary to be what it is you really want to be in life. Those would be my encouraging words. Apply yourself. All the time that you that you spend chasing everything else that doesn't matter, take that time and apply it to something that will. All that time you wasted chasing women, chasing stuff that don't matter, not saying that women don't matter, but other things that do not matter in the grand scheme of things is what I'm getting at. Chasing things that do not pay off in the long term Push that to the side because those are definitive time wasters, definitive time wasters. So, and as a warning to myself, I would say, do not surround yourself with people who do not have upward mobility, economic and academic success in their mindset. If you're the smartest person in your crew, they're going to glean from you more than they're pouring into you. That's one of the reasons why I chose to be an alpha. It's because I I wanted to be in a space where I'm not the smartest person in the room, bro. I wanted to be in a space where the conversation that we've had for as long as we've had today does not feel like work. Oftentimes, we allow ourselves to be in these spaces where, like you said, while we were talking about earlier about code shifting or code switching, code switching, where we're like, oh, well, yeah, even though I've gone to this school or I've achieved these levels of success, I still want to be deemed as being damn approachable. And yeah, I do want to be approachable. And I do want to be able to have these conversations with people who might not be in the same spaces that I'm in. But 
I can't continue to be in those spaces if you're not gleaning from the information or learning or applying the information that I'm giving to you. What would be the point? So there's there's a lot of things that when I look back at myself, especially 15 years ago, that I wish I had someone like myself that I could have been around on a consistent basis to push me. I found that a year or so later, talking about 16 years ago, you know, 14 years ago, whatever, I found that eventually surrounded myself with great men on a consistent basis, but it was an eventual process. So if there's someone that's listening to this show that is 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, or even if you're younger than that, you're a high school senior, please take that time to find those people for you. If you have the desire to become an attorney, find that local group. If you're a woman or a man, find that local group that has those people who want to give that information. We look everything else up online, right? We Google everything else, but we don't Google those those groups, those spaces for us to be in and start early. Start at 16, 17 years old. You You know you want to be an attorney? Okay. Surround yourself with people that are in those groups. I'm sure they're offering some type of weekend program, some type of mentoring program. You just got to find it. And that don't require a whole lot of hard work is what we talked about earlier. It's a Google search. That's going to church and saying, hey, I want to become a doctor. Is there anyone in this church that's a doctor? Hey, I want to become an engineer. Is there anyone in this church that's an engineer? that can help me through this, that can walk me through this process. Utilize your resources. And in closing and answering this question for you, brother, as much information and foresight and and perspective and observations that we've offered in this particular conversation, fortunately and unfortunately, people that choose to go to a PWI will have their own set of experiences. They might not go to Wake Forest. They might not go to Chapel Hill. They, They may choose some other school. And they're going to have their own set of experiences. Trust the process. The process. Life is a process. I wish I had known that 15 years ago. That life is a process. And once you understand that life is a process, when you get over one process, guess what's going to happen, brother? Another process is going to come. But you apply the same measures. And I think this is where I'm going to stall out older people when they say, You just got to work hard. Here's my spin to that. Once you understand that one tough thing is a process and you just had to get through it, you apply that same measure to the next tough thing you go. The next hurdle you got to get over is that it's it's a process. I know to some of our listeners, it's going to sound like I'm just blowing it off and just making it sound easy. It's not easy. It's a process. So don't give up on yourself. Please don't give up on yourself because life is a process. And I commend you, brother, for doing all, putting all that hard work in, as, as these older brothers have told you, putting in the work to get to where you get, where you've gotten yourself to at this point. And I know 10 to 15 years from, from now, God willing, we still are connected and I can talk to you and I can be like, man, remember when we talked about this on the show? And at that point I'm on TV or whatever TV is going to look like 10 to 15 years from now. With technology advances, I already see the future for you because you have made some great strides, brother. But as we close, because we can labor this 
on and on and on and on and on. And I want to publicly ask you in advance, I would love to have you back for another show at some point. And maybe we can unwrap some other topics. But as I always ask my guests, if you could provide a thesis statement for this conversation, what would that thesis statement be? Thank you, brother. Uh, it's my understanding that thesis statements are pretty short, right? So I'll try and be short. I'll try and fit everything into a couple sentences or less. And to overall, my thesis statement would be that certainly PWI education for Black men is a great opportunity and should be considered alongside other collegiate opportunities when young Black men especially are transitioning into college life. And Black men should be empowered to achieve because the sky truly is the limit, right? Simply being an American citizen in this country affords you certain opportunities that puts you on the right path. And every Black listener has the advantage of time at their disposal. Please do not take this for granted. Remain humble, right? As, as God grants, God also takes away. Remain empowered, or as you state, brother, be encouraged. Don't simply work hard, work effective, right? Everybody in life works hard. The garbage man that picks up the trash, he's working hard. The construction dude that's laying the bricks, he's working hard too. It's easy to say, put in the work. Hard work is good. But more importantly, working effectively gets you over those hurdles in your life. Gets you to where you want to be. or Gets you achieving those goals and those aspirations that you set for yourself. So that would be my thesis statement. Thank you, brother, for the time. I really enjoyed uh, the podcast overall. It's no problem, brother. In closing, listeners, I hope that you have received some insight. If not for you, then maybe for someone else. For my new and returning listeners, thank you for your support. You could be doing anything but you are choosing to spend your time with us. If you would like to provide feedback on this chapter, or if you would like to be a guest on the thesis, please email me at thethesis111 at gmail.com. As I always say, welcome to The Thesis, a podcast where we unlock the thoughts of time. Please be encouraged. Avanican Swiss Petro. Have you ever heard a tailor? Noblest of gentlemen, rose up from squaler Tall, dark, and decked out in customary regalia Smelling like paraphernalia, hailing from the home of Mahalia His uptown smile was gold like a Frankie Beverly Day His favorite song from Prince was not Raspberry Beret It was sometimes it snows in April He was brought up by the faithful In the cage of every unclean bird, ungrateful and hateful The legend of the clandestine reverend from the bricks With the master's grip to pull a sleeping giant out the ditch 
And I ain't even have to wiggle my nose like Bewitch I just upshift the six, convert the V4 to a broomstick Though I tarry through the valley of death, my law give me pasture If you wanna be a master in life, you must submit to a master I was born to lock horns with the devil at the brink of the hereafter Me, the socket, the plug, and universal